0: Well, hey, welcome to the new season of the Mike Thacker Show. We thought it would be cool to start season four with a little bit of a recap because I know some of you are listening and haven't been with me through this whole journey. And so early on in episode number one, I took a little bit of time to let you in on a little bit of Mikey, get a feel for who I am, get a feel for some of my background and the things that I've been involved in so that you know why I'm talking about the things I'm talking about with this podcast. And to that end, I am going to give you a recap here today of my very first episode, number one. So let's dive in and I'll be back at the end. If you're interested in using the power of entrepreneurship to create profit, that fuels purpose, to help people, then you're in the right place. This podcast is for faith-driven entrepreneurs interested in growing their businesses by fusing it with God's mission to create an amazing impact for his kingdom and themselves. My name's Mike Thacker. I'm an award-winning CEO, a seven-time startup founder, two-times Guinness World Record holder. Previously, I've led sales teams in the nine-figure range and was the chief operating officer for the Secret Service for Billionaires. Welcome to the show. It was Thursday afternoon. My CEO looks at me in the car and says, Mike, I think we're going to get arrested and spend the night in jail. And I'm thinking, holy moly, we can't do that what on earth is happening. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. You're listening to The Mike Thacker Show, where we're going to talk about people, profit, and purpose. Here with me in the studio today, helping me out with this first episode is my wife, Linda, because I was too scared to do it on my own, and so I needed to hold my hands with me. (laughs) That's not true. Um, So she's going to help me run through a little bit of my story and help you understand who you're listening to on this Mike Thacker Show. As this is the very first show we're recording, I wanted to explain a little bit more about who I am and why we're even doing this. Why would you want to listen to a podcast from some guy with a British accent who lives in Texas, likes wearing the boots and, you know, I'm an ex-preacher guy, studied theology, worked in the corporate world for years for some billion-dollar companies, pretty good at sales, spent quite a few years in the kidnap and ransom business. That's a whole different story that we'll probably get to at some point. But through all of this stuff, what i've been trying to find what i've been trying to figure out is how can i marry up this idea of entrepreneurship and this small business world that i'm now living in with making a difference what i'm trying to figure out and what i'm hoping we can do on this journey together and what i'd love to hear from from you folks listening to this show is how can i do this better how can we how can we make this more efficient how can we fine tune I don't want to make money just for the sake of money. That seems lame to me. I want to make money so that I can do something amazing with it. Social enterprise and social impact and all these kind of buzz phrases, they're really fashionable now, but five, six, eight years ago, those were phrases I'd never even heard of or come across. And when we started on our current business, Worklarge, back in 2000 and I guess 13, when I first had the idea, our goal was simple. Instead of trying the the preacher route and the ministry route, what if we could build a for-profit business and take those profits and go out there and change the world?
1: So Mike, tell me about the, or tell your listeners, because I've heard this story lots of times about the ketchup story. I know that's a story me and the kids like to be told over and over again.
0: Yes, so my first real job, believe it or not, the Golden Arches, Ray Crock, salute.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Okay, I'm I I'm saluting like for those of
1: you who can't see me.
0: She doesn't like McDonald's so much, but I will still go and get a quarter pound of a cheese. Look, I was 16, you know. So look, this guy comes up to the counter and says, hey, I want a quarter pound of a cheese with extra ketchup. I'm in the back and I'm, you know, I've only been there a couple months. And there's a couple of other guys in the kitchen as well working who are far more senior than me. They got all the little stars on their badge, you know, big dogs. I got zero stars on my badge. And so they make this, this burger and send it over. So it comes back a couple minutes later. Hey, the guy says there's not enough ketchup on it. And so I, I can't remember for the life of me the name of the person who's in the kitchen with me at the time, but he looks at me and says, hey, Mike, let me show you how we do this. And so I go over there thinking he's going to show me something decent. And he gets this ketchup container and just layers ketchup on the bottom bun underneath <laughs> this burger and then layers another layer on top of it, squishes it all together. And then just pours even more ketchup in the container. So it's oozing out of the sides, puts it on a tray and sends it back over. He says, yeah, you think he's got enough ketchup now? <laughs> you know what? I guess you get what you asked for, but um, probably not <laughs> what we were supposed to be doing. So that was McDonald's. And on a serious note, one of the things that really did stand out to me with McDonald's was they used to do these uh, a mini Olympics kind of a day where they would have the stores compete against each other. And so they would do it by region. And so you would go out and spend a day on the field and do all this goofy stuff and egg and spoon race and a sack race and that kind of thing. But what was amazing was, think about it. If you're going to have stores in the same region all go and compete at the same time, who's running the store? And they would literally drive staff in and taxi staff in from other stores 50, 60 miles away to cover for the day so that you could go and do that. You know, there's a reason why they're successful, right? I mean, there's a reason why Ray had this figured out. Corporate culture, call it whatever you want, but it stuck with me. You know, 30 years later, I still remember that feeling of, wow, this is how much they want to take care of the people that work for them. I was making like a dollar an hour. So, you know, they could probably afford it. They probably should have paid me a little bit more. How
1: did I never hear that story before? I never told you? No.
0: Oh yeah, dude, I was awesome at the Egg and Spoon Race.
1: So we should talk a little bit about what you were doing when we met.
0: <sighs> what was I doing when we met? I was selling ladies shoes mm-hmm. on a market, which is like a flea market for those of you that don't know. Really high quality big job. big attraction
1: for a girl. Yeah.
0: yeah. Except I mean, high not these Linda. kind of shoes. <laughs> no, it wasn't those kind of shoes. No. no. $15 or 15 pounds actually, or if you like your English slang, 15 nicker down the, down the market. But uh, yes, I was not a high achiever when I was young. You know, I, I was one of those kids at school that just why bother making an effort? I could I could coast on pretty easily without having to study or do anything, and and I don't think I really realized what life was about, you know, what you, what could be achieved, what you could do, what you couldn't do until until I became a grown up and you know started down that journey of going to work somewhere. And the first guy that hired me in a in the computer business ended up actually being my business partner. We started a little thing called Creative Internet back in the nineties. That's the first time I had to deal with office space and leases and all that kind of stuff. Little did I know. I'd be doing that, you know, 20, 30 years later on a much larger scale. Then it was 500 square feet and a few hundred bucks a month. You know, now it's, I don't know, 80, 90,000 square feet that we've got and a whole lot more than 500 bucks a month. So
1: let's be you honest. Know. You didn't really do much work at of that office, did you? Uh, no, to be
0: fair, <laughs> I did do a little bit. Okay. Yes, we had our Friday afternoon squash game and yes, we did play oh, Quake yeah. <laughs> I know, pretty about much that. every lunchtime. <laughs> Thankfully, I was better at Quake than Adam, So You know, he didn't like getting his head blown off all the time. And it's probably not the, you know, PG rated (laughs) game I should have been playing. But listen, I was young and we'll just put it down as, uh, you know, a learning experience. But it was a fun time. It was a great time. And it was the first time that I started a business. So it was the first one of five startups that I've had over the years. And um, actually before that, I didn't even mention, but when we were at college studying theology, uh, we spent a few months out in Teen Challenge in Nashville. We're going to talk about that in a different episode because that really made a big impact, I think, on my life and our Mm lives together. Yes. And I think that's what shaped what is now the Gabriel Project and the things we do with Work Lodge and funding the mission and wanting to change lives and all these other things. I think that's the that's the seed that was sown there.
1: And on the flip side of that, the opposite lesson you learned at... Um at a different company. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so look, you know, I was a young, cocky 20-something. I was actually pretty good at selling. You know, I did pretty well for myself. I got promoted pretty quickly. And so along with that comes even more arrogance. And so, you know, here's this company that comes knocking. And they were actually the second company that tried to recruit me out from the place I was at. And at the time, you know, I was leading some sales teams. I don't know. The exchange rates changed. The dollar amounts changed. My guess is it's probably $80 million, $100 million or something like that a year that we were doing in those sales teams. And, you know, your ego kind of, you know, grows a little bit. People come and ask you to leave and go, you know, go join them and and do the same thing at a bigger firm. And so the first time I almost did, the second time I did, and it was probably one of the biggest professional mistakes I ever made. I mean, it was a ridiculous amount of money, you know, for a 29-year-old. It was a big jump from where I was. But the second that I joined that company, I realized things like culture matter, things like DNA matter. I just was not a fit for them, and they weren't a good fit for me. And I realized I'd left something where I had a network and a support around me of people that believed in me and, and I'd earned that trust over years of, of delivering and executing and all that was gone. And, you know, I made it a couple of months and, you know, and I quit and that's where we went and started another one and, and did the whole entrepreneur thing again.
1: So tell us about that. What was next?
0: So I didn't really know what to do. I knew that I didn't want to do that.
1: Bearing in mind by this time we had a child. Yeah. We
0: had one and one on the way, yes. right?
1: Oh Yes. Wow. We skipped ahead a little.
0: So even though I didn't know what I wanted to do, I knew I didn't want to work in that company, in that environment, in that framework around those people. And even though the money was good, that wasn't enough for me to sell my soul. And that's how I kind of viewed it. That if I stayed there, I'd have been selling my soul just for a dollar and I'm not built that way. So it was time to try the mission thing again. We, We still had this urge and this itch to go try and change lives, try and find a way to make a difference and, you know, and help some folks. And so we went back to the nonprofit world and had a little stint part-time at the Apple store of all places. And uh, I, um, I actually met someone who was a CEO of a company that specialized in very unique security for um, very successful people. And we were famous for kidnap and ransom. And so I spent quite a few years in that world. And you know, some people get all excited about it, but I can tell you 23 hours on the phone straight, you know, dealing with a kidnapping in, you know, in South America is, is not quite what you'd expect. And.
1: No, and i just interrupt you for a second there. Cause I think it's important for us to give a little shout out to the CEO. Not that we want to mention any names, but he took you on, you know, all he knew of you was a member of staff at the Apple store, right? Yeah.
0: But I think he did it, you know, the right way, you know, we I helped him out with a couple of different projects and we built a bit of a relationship. So he got to know me over time. And, and then when I went there, you know, I started part-time if I remember correctly. And, you know, he was able to kind of try and trust me with a little bit more. I guess I delivered and, you know, that changed the full time and then it changed to a different role. So, you know, it was uh, it was a smart way to do it. And he was a great guy. I mean, I learned a lot from him and it was, it was a great opportunity to develop. I mean, that's the thing, you know, if you think about your life and you think about the things you've done, you know, I could look at mine and say, well, how'd you go from McDonald's to kidnapping? Well, I've got no idea, so I can't help you there, but whatever you've done in the past is irrelevant. It's the skills and, and the, the experience that you gain and what you do with that and what you, how you develop that and how that develops you. That's what's going to drive you into success as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. And so no matter what you do, whether it's nonprofit, for-profit, there's always things that are going to leave a mark and they're going to shape and tweak you into who you've become today and who you're going to be tomorrow.
1: And people you know you said things that that shape you but people as well people along the way of our entire journey have have really helped you to be where you're at whether it's a good positive experience or whether it's been a negative experience everything that you can look at and I think you have looked at things and and really learned from it.
0: So you know running through what is probably 20 plus years of my life there, I think the common thread that, that weaves to it all is is that faith and that, and that theological belief that I've got, that there is a God out there and he does love me and he does watch over me and he's guiding my steps. And although the journey's been very, I don't know if erratic's the right word, but it, it clearly hasn't been a straight path. I mean, I've done all kinds of crazy things to get to where I am today. I've got to believe that there's a reason for that. And it took those things to shape me and make me who I am. And and that's because, you know, he wants me to do something for him. And look, you might not believe what I believe. That's okay. You know, you, you don't have to, you know, believe in the same God I do. You don't have to think the same way I think. At the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur and a business person trying to figure out how to do it better, how to take care of my staff better, how to make a culture and create an environment where people can thrive and succeed, how to deliver an environment for our customers and our folks that we serve to help them be more successful and how to take that profit and do something with it to change lives, you know, beyond the four walls of the business we built. And for me, that comes from a heart that stems out of faith that says, treat other people the way you want to be treated, love other people, you know, when, when you're in a position to do so, you know, don't look at someone who needs help and then think someone else is going to help them when you could be the guy or the gal that can help them.
1: So in that moment, were you saying a little prayer then when you were almost getting arrested?
0: Oh, I think I was doing more than that. Holy moly. <laughs> That's one of the... It's the what, So look, here's the thing, and there's only so much I can kind of say, but we were doing this extortion case, and this guy was... He was really good at extortion. Let me put it that way. I mean, we, we tracked him, you know, through research all across the United States over a 10-year period, changing states every couple of years, pulling the same thing with different companies. And so we flew out that day to go and confront him, you know, and talk about what he was doing. And so, you know, when that happened, let's just say it didn't go well... And, you know, and he called the cops on us and, you know, we're there is the security guys, you know, trying to stop him from doing something that's very wrong and very illegal. And so I'm sitting in the car and, and you know, again, I'm, I'm sat there with my CEO and he's saying, Mike, you know, get a hold of my assistant. Like we need, we need somebody on the phone now because this is not going to go well. And I'm just, I'm just dying. I mean, I'm just dying thinking, how am I going to get to the airport? Because I'm supposed to be flying out of Seattle at 930 on the red eye. I'm supposed to be landing in Houston at 5:30 because my son's having surgery at six, and it's an 11-hour surgery, and I need to be there for 9:30 for this 10:30 flight or whatever it was. And by this point, this is like 6:37 p.m. So you know it's already tight on time, and you know then we get a call, and this and this officer says, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm still with this guy. I'm going to meet you at this this parking lot around the corner. There's like a Chinese restaurant or something else there." you know, I'll be there in 30 minutes. And so we drive over there and we're still waiting. And of course, by this point, you know, I'm getting a, you know, an earful because it's all my fault, you know, and everything <laughs> should have been done differently. <laughs> and, um, you know, to be fair, I'm sure some of it probably was, but hey, listen, I didn't grow up in the in the security business, so it was new to me and I was doing the best I could do. Mm. And, you know, again, but this is where you learn, this is where you learn skills. And this is, this is what made him such a great negotiator and such a great hostage negotiator. I think at the time he'd done 70-something kidnappings you know, all successfully. And um, it was an amazing thing to watch and learn. So this police officer pulls up, and, man, he's bouncing when he gets out of his vehicle. I mean, he's he is bouncing. And so, you know, Mike, who I work for, he just looks at me and says, hey, hand me the file. And, of course, here I am with my, my folder, and it's like three inches thick of documents, of evidence, of everything. And he just he just does what he does. And he had such an amazing way with people which was interesting because he could be really tough to work for. but he had such an amazing way of people, and he starts talking to this officer, and I'm not joking. I am not joking. Within about three to four minutes, these guys are cutting up and laughing. Like five minutes later we're going into the Chinese restaurant to go get food together. The people skills, the communication skills, the interpersonal skills, watching that in motion, it was one of those few moments in time that left a great impression. But yeah, wow! What a moment! I, I did not think I was going to make it. Put it that way. I still don't know to this day how I did. I mean, I was, so I was running, I was running through
1: <laughs> that airport trying to get to that gate. Did, I, did you tell me? I can't I remember know. what I, what was going on from my side. I don't remember. I'm sure I but you made did. it, and that was the most important thing. So.
0: anyhow, look, I've lived an interesting life. I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how to do it better, how to do it different, how to start things. Started three for-profits, I've started two non-profits, started a church, believe it or not, and also the Gabriel Project that we still run on a day-to-day basis. And so on this podcast, look, we're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to talk about how I'm trying to figure this journey out for myself. Hopefully you can help me because I know I don't have it all figured out and I'm looking to build relationships and to build some interaction with folks out there that have got a heart like mine that want to take what they're doing and, and do something good with it. So thanks for joining us today, Linda. Appreciate you uh, chipping in with my my long historical story of, <laughs> of amazingness and not so amazingness in certain places, but... Uh...
1: You're welcome. I enjoyed it. I had fun. I was going to add, I'm here because I'm your biggest fan. So I feel like, you know, as your biggest fan, that gets me the right to be on the show.
0: I don't know. My mom <laughs> might disagree with you there. Now I've got two apparently, so we're in good shape. Oh, your mom. <laughs> She likes me better though. (laughs) Let me know if you want Linda back on the show. Comment below. (laughs) (laughs) Go to mikethacker.com. You can see all my social handles on there. It's at realmikethacker on Instagram, Facebook, the usual suspects. And I hope to see you back next week. Let's grab there and let's be amazing. Hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit of my heart, a little bit about who I am. Got to meet my awesome wife, Linda, as well. She is amazing. And so I am very blessed that she joins me on the podcast from time to time. But listen, before we go, I got to tell you about next week's episode because I am so, so, so excited. I have a new book coming out, in case you don't know, called Mic Drop. Do business God's way, live like a king, and change the world. And next week... We are going to have the world premiere. This is the first time that anybody in the general public, other than the few select special friends who read some pre release copies, will actually get access to the book. We are going to be playing you one chapter from the new audiobook that is also going to go live with the podcast next week. So you don't want to miss it. Make sure when you get that notification, you hit that play button. And to get the notification, you need to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and say nice things about me, okay? Go and leave me a review. Leave five stars because, you know, it helps us content creators out. So enough said. I'm so excited that next week you're going to get to hear a little bit of my heart from one of the chapters of my new book. Until then, let's go out there and be amazing.